Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. This morning we're beginning a new series relating to what the Lord has to say to each one of us about the people within our sphere of influence who do not yet know the Lord. Or perhaps one time did know Him and had a close relationship with Him, but because of whatever circumstances now do not walk with Him in a personal way. When the Holy Spirit comes to to live in our lives and make us alive in Christ, He asks us to bear witness to others about what he is doing in our lives. Sometimes this is done through words. More often than not, it's caught through observation. All of us have people within our sphere of influence that that need to know the truth that God is not mad at them. In fact, God loves them with an everlasting love, the Bible says. And by its very definition, the gospel is not bad news. The gospel is good news. I love Jesus' parable of of the prodigal son. When I read it, I feel great emotion at the drama that's portrayed there. Not because of the prodigal and the dumb things he did, but the picture that Jesus paints of God the Father. He tells of a of a dad whose son is a sore disappointment. But this dad, every single day, is watching for his boy. He's longing for his child to come home. And when he sees him, he bolts out the door, he runs down the road, and he throws his arms around his son and kisses him. And frankly, you got to remember, the boy just came from the pigsty. He probably didn't smell very good. But the dad hugs him anyway. He says then, now it's not in the text, he probably said get him a bath first. I think that was left out of the text. But but the next thing is recorded in the text. He says, put the best, I didn't put it up on screen, but, but it's key here, put the best robe on my son. He doesn't say just get any robe out of the closet. He says, put the best robe on my son. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Let's have a party. And that's what Jesus wants wants us to know that God the Father is like. It's really, really important that we get that biblical picture of who God the Father is so that we can share it with others. Why? Because God established his church He established the people of God on planet Earth to be a physical representation of the love that God has for people. That's why we are here. This isn't anything new. In the Old Testament, way back in Genesis 12, God tells Abram that he's going to use him to display God's love to all the nations. You've probably read this this passage many, many times and, and missed two little words in there. Those two words are through you. The words are addressed to Abram, yes, 
but we see the ultimate fulfillment of these words in Jesus Christ. But don't miss that it's also through the descendants, not just the descendants, but the descendants of Abraham that people in the world are blessed. Later in his letter to the Galatians, Paul writes these words. He says he, and he's talking about Abraham there, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. And what Paul is saying here is it's not just those who are, and it goes into a much longer argument within Galatians, it's not just those who are physical descendants of Abraham. In fact, John the Baptist and Jesus both had, both had confronted this. The Jews were very proud of their lineage in Abraham, but they were told, I can make rocks to be children of Abraham. It's those that are children of Abraham through belief, through the covenant, through a covenant in the heart, those are the children of Abraham. And if you're, a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of Abraham. What God is trying to help us see in the scripture is how passionately he cares about all the nations, about all peoples. He wants a visible witness of his grace, his glory, and his goodness. That's why he established Israel. You see this again in Exodus, when at Mount Sinai, in Exodus 19, God said, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to be a holy nation so that you can show forth as you can declare my praise to all the world. But if you look at the Old Testament carefully, you'll see that they didn't follow through on the promises they made to God there at Sinai. They were severely punished because of this, and because rather than living a God-blessed life that demonstrated grace and glory and goodness, they lived like the other nations in polytheism and idolatry. Today, those of us who follow Christ, the church, are here to be the vehicle through which God can show his blessing here on earth. And God wants people to be look at those of us who are Jesus followers, and he wants others to be able to witness God's grace, God's glory, and God's goodness. The theology of blessing teaches that God wants to so bless his people that when others around them see this blessing, they'll look at that God-blessed life, and they'll notice that there's something different. And they'll say, I'd like to have that kind of life. It's designed to create a hunger in people who do not yet know Jesus when they see the presence of Jesus lived out in our relationships, in the way we treat one another, and in the way we treat them. The theology of blessing is magnificent. And there are many places that you can see this in, in Scripture, but one of my favorite pictures of this is found when a pagan idolatrous queen of Sheba shows up in Solomon's court. It's found in both 1 Kings 10. You might want to write these references down and read them, go back and read them later. It's found in 1 Kings 10, and it's also found in 2 Chronicles chapter 9. She comes to Solomon's court, and she's overwhelmed by everything she sees. She's coming from her country, which is a place of idolatry and polytheism, a place of spiritual darkness, and this is her testimony. Look at this with me. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half of what was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear wisdom. Now look at these next words. This is from a pagan, 
Praise be to the Lord your God. And, and that word Lord there, you see it's all capitals in the, in the NIV. That's the covenant name of God that Israel had. Praise be to the name or be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of, again, Yahweh, because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. You talk about a theology of blessing. She's seen something that she'd never seen before. She sees a God-blessed life. Now, you and I, if we've read the rest of the book, we know how Solomon's life ended. It was kind of a train wreck. But that's the picture there of a theology of blessing. It's a picture of what God intended to happen. Our lives are supposed to tell a story of God's blessing, which will attract others to our God. I've titled this series, Living Life in a Winsome Way. Now, winsome is a word that it's about 900 years old. It's, the word came about in, in Old English in about 1200. But we don't use this word winsome very, very often. It's kind of one of those antiquated words. But I think we need to reclaim it because the meaning of, of the word there is, is very appropriate to the Christian life, what we should be as, as Jesus followers. Because winsome basically means it's attractive or appealing in appearance or character. And I believe that, Jesus, that God wants us to live lives as Jesus followers in an attractive or appealing way, one that draws people to Jesus, not repels people away from Jesus. So what does it mean to, to live life in a winsome way so that people want what we have? Well, over the coming weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at what it is that we can do about our lives to reach out to those people within our sphere of influence to draw them to our Savior. Today, I want to use Psalm 65, the psalm that I read as a call to worship at the beginning of the, of the service. And I think that we can see there that, that the first off, that we are to be a people of praise. We're to be a people of praise. Psalm 65, 1 said, Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. We need to understand that worship exists by God and for God. He ordains praise. The method through which we worship him is not nearly as important as the heart that we bring as we share it. I've been in churches of other cultures where the worship lasts for two or three hours, and that wasn't because I was preaching in Chile and it was that long even with a, with a translator. These people just worship the Lord. They just love worshiping the Lord. Services last forever and ever, it seems. They sing, they, they dance, and basically, you know, some of those services I've been in, you could call them aerobic praise. You know, those people don't need to go to Pilates or, or use their stair stepper that week because they've been to church. You know, I've, I've been warned, you know, going, and this has happened, going into an African-American church here in, in the United States, that if they find out you're a preacher, and this, this has happened to me, they ask you to come up and share a word. And they don't just want one verse. They don't expect just one verse. And it's not instead of the the regular preacher. It's in addition to, and no one has a problem with that. I mean, you go to church, you spend all day in some of the churches. And most of us would not necessarily embrace a three-hour worship service. Now, I know that some of you start looking at your watches if we go more than an hour long. I'm watching. <laughs> I want to say some things this morning that may be hard to hear, but you need to know that they're spoken out of a heart of love that we need to talk about because ultimately what we're talking about is our witness our witness to the world. All of us, every single one of us have worship preferences. And we need to realize that they are just that, preferences. 
We all have a heart music. We all have a style of worship or a way or a method of worship that really speaks to our heart and allows us to communicate our heart to God better than other styles of worship. And some of us are, are drawn to peaceful solitude in worship. Others are more comfortable with exuberant worship. And you have everything in between. And I've had to tell many people over the years here at Sky Valley that we're kind of trying to shoot for the middle. We've got everything from frozen, chosen, reformed to happy, clappy Pentecostals that come here to chapel. And that's okay. That's good. That's good. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a chaplain more than a denominational pastor. And I think God embraces diver, diversity. And so we're trying to shoot for the middle here at Sky, at Sky Valley in our worship. I think, though, that we individually can get too caught up in our own heart music or style. We need to remember that when people walk into worship service, what we want them to do is to feel how genuinely we love God, how we love each other, and how we love them. I believe that churches that, that divide or fight over heart music is a grievous mistake. In fact, dare I, dare I say it? I believe it's sin. It's sinful. I can't say it any plainer than that. We completely miss the point when we make worship about us, our style, our preferences, and we choose to speak critically of other styles, which, of course, we believe are inferior to the one that we like. Worship exists by and for God, and it only matters when we're sincere, when our heart is sincerely worshiping God. God looks at the heart. Worship exists for him and by him. And frankly, it really isn't about what you like or what I like. It's about what God desires. I've put three scriptures up there on the screen that kind of tell you some of the things that God desires. In Psalm 51.6, David writes, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom from the inmost place. Over in John chapter 4, when, when Jesus meets the woman at the well there in Samaria, one of the things Jesus tells her is that, those who worship God, it doesn't matter where you worship, because, you know, her people thought you worship God in Samaria. The Jews say you worship God in Jerusalem. He says that time is coming. It's not going to matter. God seeking true worshipers, and true worshipers are those who reach out to him in spirit and in truth, not just cognitively with your head, but your entire being, your spirit and in truth. In Psalm 51, 17, David writes, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God wants us to come to him with humility. In Isaiah 66, the Lord says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There's no room for pride on our part in worship. All of us need to reconnect with this absolute truth of the statement that David made in, in our basic test today in Psalm 65, 1, where he says, Praise awaits your holy presence, O God. Praise exists for God, not for you and me. Our praise awaits you, O God. When you and I gather in the name of Jesus here each week, it's to be done with an inner anticipation the Son of God is going to be here today in spirit, and he wants us to tell him how much we love him. My praise awaits you, O God. In the New Testament, the Christian life is, is oftentimes illustrated with the dynamic of fire, a fire in the heart. And if you were to go out here in, in, when they have that the fire pit in the wash, if you were to throw a cardboard box on that fire and wait five minutes, that cardboard box is going to change composition. Fire changes the composition of what it touches. 
And our lives are to be so characterized by the fire of God that they're changed. And the question is, you know, how is God working in you and in me to change our composition? That's the essence of our story. That's what we're going to, that's what we share with one another and with those who don't know Jesus yet. Worship is about the heartfelt surrender to the voice of Jesus as he convicts us of our need to know him better than we presently do. This requires change. It requires ongoing transformation. You and I aren't responsible for that change ourselves. That's God's job. Your job and my job is to get up in the morning, to get alone with Jesus, to open the Bible, to read it, to spend time worshiping him and and praying with him, building our relationship with him. He'll do the changing. The Holy Spirit will do the changing in those cases. Your devotional time, it's just a vehicle whereby that change takes place. Time alone with Jesus is the issue because where Jesus dwells, lives get changed. Praise awaits you, Lord. That's what people who are unchurched and and pre-Christian ought to feel when they walk into this space. And that should show forth, it should flow forth in our daily lives. Secondly, God's people are to be a people of prayer. In the second verse, he says, O you who hear prayer, to you all men and women will come. A vital part of our spiritual life together is the commitment to both personal and corporate prayer. Too many people, I believe, tend to think of prayer as a duty. And I submit to you that prayer is not a duty. Prayer is a privilege. It's a privilege based upon our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And if you view your prayer life, if you view being alone with God as a duty, a legalistic thing that you have to do, you'll miss the joy of that relationship because you always have to remember that it is a relationship. Think about it. If, if you viewed being with your spouse as a duty, I know some of you do at this point, but we can talk about that elsewhere. That's not going to be a very vibrant, a very good relationship between you and your spouse. If you view being with your children as a duty, that's not going to be a very good relationship with your children. None of us view being with our grandkids as, as a duty, though, right? God created you and me for relationship. Yes, he created us for relationship with fellow human beings, but our primary relationship, the relationship that is above all others, is our relationship with him. That is what he created us for. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live in a life, he transitions us from, from doing the right thing for the right reason to engaging in an expression of love to the God who has redeemed us so that that relationship may be restored, may be repaired, so that it may be possible for us to have a relationship with him. God welcomes us. He bids us to come to him in a heartfelt and intimate manner in prayer. It's a relationship of love to be cultivated It doesn't just happen. Look at Hebrews 4.16 with me. It says here, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's saying we don't need to come to God's throne with trepidation. Remember the Father? Remember the father that sat there waiting for his boy to come home? That's who's sitting on the throne. We need to draw near to the throne with confidence. He wants us. He wants to see us. Prayer is the language of faith. It's the fuel of our relationship with God. 
The Apostle Paul later in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you're a Jesus follower, we should be in prayer, not just when we're in our prayer closet at home or in the morning in our devotion time or, or when we're here in, in chapel, pray without ceasing. All that means is that we're in an attitude of prayer where, where we have a constant awareness of the presence of God. We don't just compartmentalize it to certain parts of our life, to certain days of the week or to certain hours of the day. We pray without ceasing. We give thanks what? In, in what circumstances? All circumstances. I, I don't know about you, but there's some circumstances that I go through that I really don't feel like giving thanks for. But I'm enjoined by Paul and by Scripture to give thanks anyway. I want to look at the, the lessons that I need to learn because, because God does this. He teaches us through those circumstances, even if they're unbearable, even if they're circumstances that we don't want. And I tell you what, I've learned something. I want to learn the lesson as soon as I can because I learned in life and with God, if you don't learn the lesson the first time, you're going to go through it again. Remember the Jews? 40 years, one more time around the desert. One more time around the desert. One more time around the desert. David says here in this verse 2 of 65, he says, God hears our prayer. Oh, you who hear prayer. He doesn't always answer it the way that we'd like. He doesn't always answer it even on our timetable. But he does hear our prayer. God's ears don't get clogged up. He doesn't have the music too loud. There isn't some weed whacker or, or a lawnmower going or planes flying overhead to where he can't hear our prayer. God hears our prayer. Jesus gave us three levels of intensity, and I think it represents three different ways that, that people understand how desperate they are for something in prayer, whatever it is or, or whoever it is. And we characterize these three levels of intensity in prayer as asking, seeking, and knocking. And I'm pretty sure that most of us in this room know how to ask God for things. You know, God, here's my list, my long list. I think fewer of us know what it means to seek God in sincere and passionate prayer where you want to feel God's heart impact you about a situation or about a person for whom you're praying. And I think fewer still in the body of Christ know what it means to knock on the door of a will that is closed to the movement of God and to keep on knocking and knocking and knocking. There are people in my life that I've prayed for for years by name, and I've prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them, and I don't see any movement at all. But you know what? Tomorrow morning, when I get before the Lord, I'll still pray for those people. I'll still intercede for them. And I'll do that until God gives me my last breath. Are you good at knocking? We need to remember that our standing before God is as sons and daughters of the Most High. I really don't think we get this the way that we should. And I must tell you that as Papa, when one of my grandchildren speaks to me or asks me something, I'm all ears. I look forward to seeing my grandchildren. I look forward to hearing from them. I look forward to meeting their needs or their desires as long as it doesn't, isn't something that's going to hurt them, okay? And God's the same way. That sense of excitement, anticipation is, is how your father God waits for you to walk into his presence as his son or daughter. And I think all of our prayer lives would be markedly different if we believed the truth that God Almighty is genuinely happy to engage with us as we intercede with him 
for the people that are on our heart. So a people of praise, a people of prayer, I believe God's people are also to be characterized as a people who've experienced his power. Continuing in Psalm 65, verses 3 and 4, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. The psalmist David here reminds us, he, he takes us back to what's we, what we once were before God worked in our hearts and, and began this transformation in our lives. What Jesus has done in our hearts is absolutely wonderful to think about and to, to meditate upon. Jesus chose to become a human being so that he could have a human body to sacrifice, to offer up to Father God as a perfect sacrifice for sin. And what we look to is the precious blood of Christ, which has the power to cleanse our consciousness, to provide forgiveness, and to rescue us from spiritual death. The Apostle Peter underscored this for us when he said in 1 Peter 1.18, he says, "...knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot." I never get tired of, of thinking about what Jesus was willing to do for us so that we could personally experience the grace and mercy of God. But it gets better than, than merely looking at and being touched by our forgiveness and cleansing our hearts of guilty consciousness because David also just talks here about the indescribable privilege of our being called out and called to God, called away from the ways that we used to live not, being mere, not merely getting rid of the bad things, you know, not just having fire insurance from hell, but it's being drawn near to God's presence by His indwelling Spirit, welcomed, welcomed into His courts as sons and daughters of the King. David says, blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Praise, prayer, power. Finally, God's people should be a people devoted to disciple-making. A people devoted to disciple-making. In verse 5, it says, You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth. Jesus is the hope of all people. When Jesus ascended in Matthew 28, he gave a charge. We call it the Great Commission. And he said, as you're going along, as you're going along your lives, I want you to go forth. I want you to baptize. I want you to teach all the things. I want you to make disciples. You know, it can boil, basically boils down to two things. I want you to advance the kingdom and make disciples. Making disciples advances the kingdom. And I may be extremely simple in my thinking here, but I believe that the Sky Valley community attracts people who don't know Jesus yet. I've been telling this to management for years. You know, they're, they're, they're lying in their mission statement that, that where they want the Christian atmosphere. I've told management here for years that I believe that the Christian atmosphere draws people who don't know Christ yet, where people are valued, where we treat others as we want to be treated. It's winsome. It's attractive. I also believe the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ is the heart's cry, the deep inner longing of every single person on the face of the earth. So that includes every person that comes here. They may not realize it. They might not admit it. They may not even know it or understand that there's this, there's this God-shaped vacuum within their heart that he alone can fill. 
And I'm convinced that what the culture around us oftentimes rejects is not the Lord Jesus himself. What they reject is churchianity or they, or they reject our version of Christianity for some of us where we exclude other people, where we judge other people. Because let's face it, probably a lot of us have even found hurt within churches in the past. They may have had the best of intentions, but unfortunately the church is filled with imperfect people and people get hurt even by the church. If the people of our community, our family, our neighbors and friends are able to see Jesus' work in our hearts and our lives, that there's a sense of the Holy One invading our lives, something in them will click and they will respond with a heart that wants to know the one that we know. In James 4, he puts it this way. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We come to this place because we are a people of faith who draw near to God, believing that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And as the Lord does his work in our lives, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's always about the heart of God and the calling of God to be concerned about making disciples, making followers of Jesus Christ. True discipleship always results in his kingdom advancing. Where Jesus commands his blessing to flow into the lives of his worshiping, praying, and cleansed people, the Lord God uses his blessing as a vehicle to draw people's hearts to himself. The word of God is filled with references that God is a gatherer who loves, who woos, who draws people to himself. Over and over again in the Bible, we read about God's heart crying out for the people of the nations. It's God's heart cry that people from every nation will come to know him as Lord and Savior. The scriptures declare the deep love of God for people. So let's be clear as we think our way through the implications of this message for each of our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us after his heart of love for the unchurched, those who don't know Jesus yet. And if you don't think they're here, come see me. They're here. They're here in Sky Valley. Half the people at the block party last week do not attend chapel. Now, some of them may go to churches out in town. I'll grant you that and all. But I'm out and about the park and talk to people and have relationships that most of you don't even know about the relationships that Lou and I have. Last spring, we sat down and Lou and I made a list of 220 people in this park that we know by name, we talk to, we see as we go about our business in the park that never are in here on Sunday morning because that's part of our mission is to reach out to those people and to love him. But it's not just losing my mission, it's your mission as well. God's transforming work done in each one of us isn't because you and I are such wonderful people that deserve the best that the Christian life has to offer. The transforming power and love of God is shed into our hearts so that God can use the life change we experience to demonstrate his blessing to other people. A question we're going to be looking at throughout this series is how is Jesus currently working in your life? When people have been in church for a long time, we, we talk about a testimony. And when people ask about a testimony, they're oftentimes thinking about something that happened way back when. I'm going to challenge you during this series. What is your current testimony? What is God doing right now in your life? You need a fresh testimony. 
And if God isn't currently working in your life, maybe you need to go to your prayer closet. Maybe you need to come talk to me or something. You need to look and see. Where, you, know, you need to have something going on right now. Because God is not just the God of yesterday. He's the God of today, and he's the God of tomorrow. We're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. We need to be able to give an answer for the hope that we have within us, not just a hope for 20 years ago or 30 years ago when we walked down some aisle in a church to the 15th verse of Just As I Am. We need to have a testimony that's up to date. As my executive officer on my last ship, Tom Chassie, used to say, what have you done for me lately? He actually used to say, what have you done for me lately? In other words, you could have... You could have been, you know, a great chaplain six months ago, but what are you doing right now, chaplain, on my ship? And he, it wasn't just me. He said that to all of his department heads. What have you done for me lately? And you and I need to be, who are Christ followers, we need to be able to answer the question of what the Lord has done for us lately. But I encourage you during this coming week to think about that. How is Jesus currently working in your life? Amen. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.